This is Coda Radio, episode 458 for March 21st, 2022. Hey there, you look nice today, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and our righteous host joining us from the lands of Florida is Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Righteous. The sinners will burn on the stakes of the M1 Ultra. <laughs> I've been reading a book recently called The Righteous Mind. I just picked it up, I think, on a listener recommendation, and it's been giving me great insights into my children, actually. It's interesting. <laughs> By children, he means my late night Slack messages. Uh, no, 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 man. Uh, so, you know, of course, the chat room's talking about the fact that Apple's down today. I mean, kind of as we're recording, it's kind of it's coming back together. They're kind of getting things back up. But big iCloud outage today. Big iCloud outage. It's all those Mac Studio purchases are killing them. That's the other topic that everybody's chewing on this morning as we record is that Someone finally decided to crack open their $6,000 Mac Studio, discovered removable storage. You could actually see the SSD and pull it out. But it turns out Apple software prevents it from being replaced. It seems they've intentionally put something in there, probably some sort of key or something like that, that when you swap out the storage or if you use the second slot, say you put an, you know a second disk in the second slot, system will not even boot. It, it just blinks SOS on the front. Not only will not boot, it <laughs> thinks it's under fire. Yeah. And, you know, people, this reminded everyone that Apple made all these commitments about improving the Apple repair program for Macs. And there's like nothing that's happened from that. So, And, of course, this absolutely has a right to repair angle. And when you dig in there, you very quickly discover that the power supply is not covered. So capacitors and stuff are just exposed. Right there in the Mac Studio, likely for cooling reasons. I mean, there's legitimately probably a reason, and they don't expect you to go in there. But the end result is that it makes it hazardous for any casual to open it up and do any repairs, which just sort of stinks because Apple makes so much noise about environmental friendliness. You know, they don't even ship power bricks anymore. They do this reduced packaging stuff, all for the environment. But yet something like this, where you actually have two removable disks that could be replaced by the user and serviced, and they've blocked that or like things that make it dangerous to open up the machine where you could actually shock yourself and, and injure yourself. It's right to repair hostile. And I'm going to call it here. The Mac studio is going to be a flop. I could be wrong on this one. So I only give this a 50, 50 shot shot. Yeah, I do think so. I think this is going to be uh, the de facto workhorse of small well, studios, right? Game dev, regular dev uh, design. That are in person. Now, it's that, it's that, hash, you know, the quote, that are in person part that maybe you might have something, but. I don't know, man. I think the Mac Studio for a lot of workers with the studio display, with its microphone array and the speakers built in probably makes for a very solid video conferencing machine. I mean, it's a very expensive one, but companies love to blow money on stuff. But here's why I think it's going to fail. I agree with you. Everything you said is right under the assumption that Apple doesn't kill this after V1. But I think they're going to iMac Pro this thing. And the reason is they blew it on the introduction. Anyone who wanted to buy this thing shot their load on the MacBook Pro Max. Speaking for myself here, like I was waiting for Apple to rev the M1 platform for professionals. And they did that with the 16-inch MacBook Max. And so I went in on that one. And I think a lot of people did. And there's just not quite enough incentive 
to get the studio unless you need the Ultra. And if you need the Ultra, you're a very limited set of buyers. So this thing's going to get an initial surge in purchases, and then the channel's going to go dry. Because they have like a, a ridiculously expensive monitor to go with it, that also hampers the sales. I think they have HomePotted this thing, and they're going to pull an iMac Pro on it. Easy for me to say, but it needed to be introduced with the MacBook Max. If you're going to blow three or four grand on a machine, you're only doing that once every few years. So you're saying that people that would buy this would probably just go to the MacBook Pro because the performance characteristics are relatively similar. And you get the XDR display, and you, you really get a whole lot of nice things with the MacBook Pro. I'll say, like, if I were buying today, I'd probably go towards the studio. And now that As- Asahi Linux actually has an alpha installer, that seems like that'd be a pretty slick setup all in. But it's extremely expensive, and I think because it's so expensive, it already is limited to a very niche audience. And because they've already sold a system that's very expensive to that niche audience, they've essentially emptied the channel of most of the sales except for people that need something for very high-end video production. And that's just not tens of millions of people. That's just tens of thousands of people. Well, I mean, I guess this is the test case, right? People have been saying they want like a lower-end Mac Pro for forever, right, since the early aughts ones went off the market. Were, I think, like 2010 ones, right? Well, we'll see. You do that with an $800 monitor and a $3,000 system. At that price, you could literally, you could literally afford to buy that for every new hire going forward, right? But at the prices they're at now, it's just still not really a viable option for most of us, at least not for every hire. I don't know. I just, I'm concerned about it. I feel like this Mac Studio, seeing some of the feedback now after we're a couple of weeks in, I think a version two is the one to buy if you're if you're in this market. And I worry you'll get some initial burst of sales and then people like me are going to say, oh, this is great, but it needs removable storage. That's something they got to address. If I'm going to buy a $6,000 computer, I want to be able to replace the storage maybe four or five years into it and get a few more years. And it's very likely this M1 platform is going to be supported for a very long time because it's the initial transition chip. And Apple has historically supported that platform for nearly a decade when the, during the PowerPC to Intel transition. So it's a machine that could really stick around, but, you know, two terabytes and you're done, right? It's just sort of silly. So I think there's some improvements they could make. They could also make it look a little better. And that's going to be in a version two, no doubt about it. But I don't, I don't know if it'll make it that far. And because it has essentially lineage to the Mac Mini, we're also totally unpegged to any release schedule because the Mac Mini has, has gone sometimes what feels like 25 years between releases. Well, but that, that's a great point, though, the Mac Mini, right? It, does this become the you own an iOS development company and you need a bunch of compute to build Apple-specific stuff, right? Whatever the Apple VR thing is. And you just rack a bunch of these bad boys up. I could see that. I could see people putting it in a rack. All right. Can I, can, I, can I cry a little bit? Can I have my feelings, please? I just spent $2,400 on a Mac Mini for this very purpose. Whoa, a Mini, huh? A week before the studio came out. Oh, no. I have yet to open it because stupid reasons I've been busy. And I tried to return it. And they're like, lol, kittens, no, you're a day out. <laughs> yeah, I'm super pissed because I would have much preferred the studio for exactly my... Now, the Mini will be fine, right? This is me being a little bit of a, a pony about this. But I could see a bunch of these racked up. Yeah, I could see a bunch of initial sales too. Uh, studios that are waiting. Think of Mac Studio, MacStudio.com would probably buy like a, a, a whole pile of these, right? I'm just saying. I could totally see it. I could see the Mac Colo guys going in hard on something like this. Come with me on this journey. <laughs> should I should I listen and stay a while? Stay a while and listen. <laughs> Although this is a story about the future. Like I mentioned in passing as it was casual that I'm only buying employees' laptops now. 
But those laptops are not like hardcore ballin' high, you know, compute laptops. They're basically base MacBook Pro equivalents. A lot of most of them are System 76. Some of them are going to be MacBook Airs, but the build is going to be just like either in my house or at the office if we keep the office right on. You know, we have our array of Linux servers, and we're going to have some Mac servers too. So that, and we have an email about this hybrid work thing. I've totally given up on hybrid. We're just full remote. We've been full remote for a while, but. Given up? You've given up? Wow. It's just, it's just, you know what? You can't, in today's market, for, and we, we hinted at this a little bit last week, for a small business, I just lost some people, and they, they literally got their wages almost doubled to be poached away. Any overhead you can cut as a small business that doesn't have, you know, thick, juicy with two C's margins, you got to cut. And, you know, people don't need $3,000 laptops if they could just build it on a home server. Or not not home as in their house, but home as in, you know, like centralized. Yeah. So Anonymous writes in about hybrid work. I work for Google and I found your return to office comments. Interesting. Hybrid working is the worst of all solutions. The employee is demanded to provide their address so they can calculate commuting distance. Of course, always trying to look at all of the possible angles. You get the flexibility of working from your cramped overpriced place for two to three days as a, as a return. The truth is all employees' benefits have been built around the office. Free meals, free snacks, free massages, free gym, etc., etc. And during the pandemic, it's been more clear to people that without the office benefits... Well, there just aren't very many benefits. I enjoy the show as always. <laughs> and I think different opinions are always healthy. So Anonymous here says that, uh, at least with their experience at Google, this hybrid work thing just isn't working very well. And it does sound like they're kind of all up their butts about details. That's something I noticed with the Microsoft one, too. You know, I, I got a DM very similar to this about someone who was saying that they're letting people work from home, but you have to install the software on your, and they're apparently a PC shop, a window shop that monitor. Did you ever hear this? Monitors your keystroke, records the screen, keeps the camera and microphone on while you're logged into the computer the entire time. To me, that's such a gross invasion of privacy. But yeah. we got a note from a listener who just says, you know, what I've done is I have two machines at my desk <laughs> and I have one machine that is just my work machine that they have their software on that I don't do anything else on. And then right next to it, I have my laptop with all my stuff, all my chats, all my emails. And of course, right? Of course. Uh, the, so what? what's going to happen next? They're going to demand that you install their firewall so that way they can do packet analysis on all of your traffic and measure how much time you spent transmitting. Don't even put that into the universe. Right. right. When you're like a 16-year-old son is looking at porn, they're going to say that. <laughs> seriously, I mean. Well, yeah, that would just that's just it. How would you? Yeah. How would you know? Actually, they might think it's the CEO's traffic, though, and say nothing. Right. Who knows? Speaking of messages, we got some feedback about RCS, including from some folks that have been having issues with RCS for a couple of years now, but just felt like nobody was talking about it. And Reese wrote in and says, you know, I couldn't help myself, but just mentioned that if Google just implemented Matrix on every Android phone, they could solve this whole messaging thing. Apple would be free to support Matrix protocols in iMessage, or you could just run any of the many Matrix apps on the iPhone. Right. So Apple is free to not support Matrix as well on iMessage, which they never would. And you still have the same problem. Yeah, I agree that it would be. I think Google should probably at this point, if, if I were uh, if I were brought in, uh, Mr. Fisher, we've uh, hired you as a consultant. And I sat down with them at their big boardroom after I had my free lunch. I would tell them 
to jump on board with Matrix. I actually think that is the way to go or something. Like they should have just stuck with XMPP back in the day. But just get on board something that developers can start building apps around that can be integrated into desktop services, all this stuff. It worked in the past. I would just go that route. And I would say make it something that isn't carrier controlled, that can't be influenced by the carrier. And then I would collect my $100,000 fee or whatever it would be, probably $200,000, and, uh, you know, jump on my private jet they booked for me and come back to the studio. That would be how it would go down. And that's, you know, they could just listen to the show and save themselves some time. But I do want to mention, I'm going to do a live stream on March 31st, 4 p.m. Seattle time, 7 p.m. Mike time, 11 p.m. London, And I want to help people get the Element client set up to connect to the Jupyter Broadcasting Matrix. It's growing quite significantly. And everything we've talked about on this show about platform control and consolidation and centralization that has just been putting the squeeze on everything has made me kind of appreciate the fact that we run the Matrix server. It's a decentralized federated system that is not subject to these particular problems. And I find that probably the horse to bet on over the long term. When I look at, I was talking about this this morning in Matrix, over the last 15 years, we have used so many different things from crazy PHP BB forums to IRC servers and all different Viber chat. I mean, just all kinds of crazy different things. We Discord, Telegram, IRC, on and on and on. When you've been around for so long, you can't help but have jumped a few platforms because things come and go. But when I look at like the next 15 years, I think the horse to bet on is the decentralized platform that we run and control ourselves. And the nice thing about it is we can run our own matrix server. You could run your own matrix server or you could not. You could just use matrix.org. And, you know, it's like you can run your own IRC server server or you could just not. You could connect to an IRC server and create your account there. And I like that about it. So I want to help people adopt it. It's a little bit of an onboard pain in the ass, in my opinion. And I think that slows the adoption. So. Join me on uh, March 31st at jblive.tv. I think I'll have the mumble room open too. So if you're out there in the audience and would like to help me help people, because I can see it getting a little bogged down, please do join me and uh, we'll help people get on a decentralized messaging platform. It's not great. I'm going to admit. You're selling this super hard. I like this. This is really. This is the problem of some of these, you know, platform software technologies, whatever you want to call it, like free stuff sometimes doesn't have the absolute best onboarding experience or Maybe it doesn't have quite the optimizations that something might have or whatever. You know, like Discord is a probably snappier, nicer looking UI. I don't love it, but I, I, it's probably to the masses. You know, and Element's a little, it's a little more IRC, a little more slack. Can I ask like the old man question here? What's wrong with IRC? Well, the users have moved on for one. I think two, it's like, it's like you could ask that same thing. Like, why not IRC over Slack? Yeah. I think it's in part because you can have one server with a lot of different channels. So like there's two Coda Radio, there's a Coda Radio general chat and a Coda Radio feedback channel. So you can have like two separate, and one of them isn't even on our server. It was created by the community earlier, but you can bring them all into one place in one interface. If I want to troll the community as, you know, Chris, I'm getting older. My, my troll energy, you know, guys, when you hit a certain age, your edgelord energy might start to flag. You have to pick one chat protocol. Now, I used to get a lot of good on Telegram. The problem is there's too many people on Telegram, and I can never figure out how to catch up. Yeah, and it's single-threaded. It's one room, right? That's the problem. In, in Matrix, if I were to, I don't know, like, send oil photographs of oil paintings of Steve Jobs, would that be effective? Yeah, probably very effective. Very, very effective, yeah. 
I need I need some onboarding instructions. I'll be <laughs> yeah. All right, you'll join me yes. on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Wait, is it Thursday? I think it's a Thursday. It's the thirty first. I'm in Florida. We don't even have a calendar, so don't worry. Okay, about it. there you go. Uh, okay, and our last email of the week comes in from Brandon. He wanted to just touch on uh, the Windows 11 ARM experience that we were kind of skeptical about. He says he picked himself up the HP Elite Folio. It's that fancy one that's wrapped in vegan leather. It's the vegan laptop. Yes. Yeah. It's got a Snapdragon 8CX, uh, 16 gigs of RAM, a 4G SO modem on the SOC. So it's, you know. That's, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. He says it's like he got it as like the chuck in the bag and go machine. And overall, experience is good. OS is snappy. Well, it's vegan. It has powers. I mean, obviously. The performance, he says, is comparable to a 10th gen Core i3. Let's kind of give you an idea. Uh, kind of one of the mortal wounds, though, is no Visual Studio. So that's kind of a non-starter for a lot of people. Yes, because the, it's the only reason to run Windows. What? What do you mean not everybody? Here's the thing, though. This is the, this is the reason I want it. This is what got me excited. The biggest advantage is running WSL. You fire up WSL, sounds obvious, but you get the ARM versions of your Linux stuff. So packages, Docker containers, etc. He says it's super beneficial for managing his home Pi cluster. He can test and build software in WSL and then just deploy it on the Pis. I love this dude for having a home pie cluster. I know. <laughs> Brandon, can you, can you write it next week? I want to know exactly what's going on with the home pie cluster. Like, are, what pies are we talking about and what are they doing? Are they doing one task, like as a unit? Or is this like, I mean, he said cluster, right? So they're probably doing one thing, but yeah. So you know what else you can do this on though, right? You could do it on uh, an M1 under virtualized Linux. And you'd have 20 hours of battery life. Boost to gray. All right, well, Ray sent us a boost yesterday for 1,000 sats, which works out to be about nearly 42 cents. I don't know if he intended that to be the universal answer. Hey, guys, regarding productivity tips, I thought I'd throw out my recommendation for an ultra-wide monitor. I always thought they were a gimmick, but after using one briefly at my company, I had to get one for home. My office is a tiny nook in the corner of a living room, and so the ultra-wide allows me to have all the benefits of dual monitors without the space or power. I can view multiple text files at once, browse code with a video call running, or even open one of those terrible side-scrolling Excel spreadsheets with ease. Uh-huh. It's pretty amazing for RTS games like Age of Empires. Looking at you, Mike. That's what I'm hmm. talking about right there. Yeah. Keep up the good work, guys. I haven't missed an episode in seven years, and I'll see you in Raleigh next month. Woo -woo. So I also wanted to plus one this boost here and say I did the same thing. I had like there was some maybe it was Black Friday or something. There was some sale for like this crazy wide 32 or 36 inch Samsung monitor. And I wanted it for the home office in, the, in my RV. And I have the same thing. I didn't I was attempting to do dual monitors with a visa mount thing. You know, I was trying all that, but it's just a lot to load and unload and set up every time I move where this is just pick up the monitor and tuck it away. And it is great. I can fit. Slack, Element, and Telegram right next to each other. I can have a huge web page open with v VS Code going. It is so much real estate. And in some ways, I almost prefer it to multiple monitors. It's pretty great. So uh, I have to totally agree with Ray. And uh, if you want to send us a boost, go get an app that supports it at newpodcastapps.com. And you heard Ray mention the East Coast Meetup. We are putting together a meetup in Raleigh, North Carolina, really just outside of Raleigh. And we have the address and details at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We've got 64 confirmed, which means we're either going to have 100 or 30. I'm not sure which way it's going to go. I noticed that uh, when Michael Dominic announced he was going, the numbers shot up 
They just went way up. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. We'll see. Although I think, you know, if you go, it's going to wreck the show. My personal opinion. Luckily for you, my child care has already welched, so I'm scrambling to find another solution. <laughs> Ooh, stay tuned and find out. Will he make it? Only time will tell. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit towards a new account, and you go there to support the show. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and tools to develop, deploy, and scale modern applications faster and easier. I was just uh, goofing around before the show because I've recently fallen in love with NixOS, and so I thought, could I deploy NixOS on Linode? And yes, this is one of the things I think Linode is great about because I don't think NixOS is in the drop-down list when you go to deploy a machine. But they definitely have a comprehensive, well-structured guide that not only walks you through installing NixOS, which I kind of wish I knew about this <laughs> when I started using NixOS. Uh, this guide is really great. But they also tell you how to ninja it onto the Linode, even though it's not like one of their official images. That's how Linode rolls. They'll tell you how to get it on there, and they make it totally possible, which is so awesome. And this is a great guide in general if you want to experiment with NixOS. This really just sort of goes to what I love about Linode. They have just fantastic customer support that goes beyond just the 365 first-tier support that answers the phone. And it extends into just documentation like this. I mean, geez, if I was the project, I think I would just link people to this. I'll put a link to this in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. You know, the great thing, too, about Linode is performance. They have SSD storage, and now they also have MVME PCIe storage if you need just crazy fast throughput. They got 11 data centers around the world. They are their own ISP. You bring all that together, and it creates a very, very competitive package. So... It's pretty remarkable when I say it's 30 to 50% cheaper than the large hyperscalers. They're just trying to lock you into their platform, right? They're trying to get you into their ecosystem. That's not how Linode rolls. There's, there's few companies that really offer this value proposition today, and Linode's the best out there. So go try them out, see what I've been talking about, support the show, and get that $100. You can actually kick the tires with that. Rubber's more expensive than ever. So that $100 is really like $200, if you follow my math. So go try it out and support the show. Linode.com slash coder. Well, how about a little App Store Monopoly update? It seems that there is an upcoming EU sideloading bill that Apple says will, quote, cripple the privacy and security protections of iPhone users. Very measured response. Very calm. <laughs> measured reaction. <laughs> <laughs> totally doesn't sound petulant. Doesn't sound exaggerating at all. <laughs> they're, they're not mad. They're just concerned. Yes. Do you remember when we played CFED and he was going on and on about how if this uh, digital market acts went through, it would destroy the iPhone. And he said some really creepy stuff up on that stage. And we had to play the cringy clips here. I I'll, I'll save that. If you guys want to go find that in the back catalog, go to notes.jupiterbroadcasting.com and just search for Craig. It's pretty bad. It was like he was going all in. It was the most disingenuous thing I've ever heard that man say, and it actually made me lose a lot of respect for that guy. If you can sideload on your iPhone, you will never hear from your mother again. Your grandma will die, and uh, your puppy will become a cat. But it appears that Apple's begging and pleading has sort of fallen on deaf ears because... It's kind of moving forward, and Apple's going to be required to allow customers in Europe to download apps outside the App Store if it goes through. And they also have to allow developers to use alternative purchase methods, and failure to comply with the law 
could end up costing Apple tens of billions of dollars. It's sort of one of those, it, the cost won't be worth it situations. So you say Europe. Is there some sort of union here? Is there like some sort of group advocating for this, you mean? Well, like, you know, like, like not states. We can't call them states. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I, at least they like to they like to think so. I mean, I don't think it's as nice, but it's some system. But but not the UK, of course, because they gracefully brexited the situation. <laughs> I wonder what Apple's lawyer, I wonder if it's like maybe a young woman named, you know, Miss Newland, perhaps, might say. Was she pro- you, think, you think Apple would just say F the EU on this? You really think? Yeah, because they can tie them up in litigation forever. Ah. Uh... They have unlimited money. I mean, I'm just saying, like, they could just do this forever. Yeah, this probably is why you have so much money, right? And if you don't do that, right, if you don't somehow either defeat this or just tie it up, once EU does it, I mean, Amy Klobuchar exists, right? I'm just saying. I think it's interesting that Google has been so quiet on this Digital Markets Act. Google's got the epic lawsuit, which I tend to agree with, uh, with a, a care switcher on Recode, that that's going to be a bigger win for Epic than the Apple one because Google does some weird shit with their platform. Killing every product I've ever liked. Maybe I'm bitter. Google Plus was good. I don't care what you say. It was good. Wow. What do you mean, wow? <laughs> Wes and I were just talking about Google Plus last night. You know, you guys just shit on everything I like. That's all you do when I'm not around. I'm, no, I'm just, I'm just impressed that you went Plus and not Wave. I keep saying wave, but I, I think wave, this VR stuff, it's, I'm designing my little office. It's very, very, frankly, Japanese. Oh. It's like a bonsai garden with broken Python code on the one, like, floating window thing. But That's very peaceful and tranquil. I could just get so, like, in the zone in there. <sighs> I, I need as much zen as I can get because I'm, uh, I think the technical term is psycho. I'm a Mac user. I smell some bacon. You you smell that? It it kind of smells like Microsoft is lurking in the shadows with this Digital Markets Act. You know, didn't Germany just go back to using Office? Did they? Oh, that might be true. I, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't have such a strong signal on this one like I did with the Epic lawsuit. It does seem like it would fit perfectly into Microsoft's current App Store strategy. It would harm Google and Apple the most, and Microsoft would be perfectly positioned for this kind of play. And we've seen that they've been willing to work behind the scenes in the U.S. to take the justice system and weaponize it against their competitors. So why wouldn't they be doing it in the EU? I I would almost argue the EU is the easier fight, right? Because the EU is always eager to attack American tech companies. Perhaps, perhaps. You know, it seems like it. And And the reality there is, is that if you look at who benefits from this, you could argue consumers. I think we'll see, but I doubt it, actually. This is the irony. If Apple had kind of calmed down a bit, if uh, CFED, I like that name, by the way, had maybe not been so over the top, they do have a real argument about uh, privacy and and security. The problem is when they make it sound like the world is going, right, it's going to turn into the walking dead. It's it's silly. But I got to tell you right now, no one in my family is sideloading a goddamn thing if I can stop it, right? I just letting it's all through the app store. I don't, I no secondary app stores because I am not dealing with that. I, I, we could have a digression to Windows 11. Do, do not let old people upgrade to Windows 11. That's all I'm going to say. 
Apple's argument is that people will be socially engineered into turning it on. And they point to the Fortnite situation on Android where Fortnite tried to leave the Play Store. They had people turn on sideloading and it just got abused. I 100% agree. And I can think of one company in particular. Forget about Epic. I, I, Epic's weird. Tim Sweeney's kind of like, I, you know, I feel a kindred spirit there. He's kind of like over the top and nuts, but I don't think he's evil. <laughs> he's just like he gets mad about things and he kind of goes too far. Facebook or Meta, whatever. I love my Quest. I wish it was made by any other company, including Exxon, Halliburton, and Chevron. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I just, I hate them so much. Every time I give them money, I feel like I'm like, I'm clubbing a baby seal. You could look at it as you're incentivizing a better business model than their previous one. I mean, I guess if you give a, a heroin addict cocaine, you are giving them a lighter drug in some way. I mean, doesn't it sound great to just continually encourage another company to create an app store behemoth platform? <laughs> Once again, folks, we're going to he and I are dying to mention Revolution OS and go back to the 90s and cry. <laughs> I find this story that we've been watching slowly unfold absolutely fascinating and you know, I think we've talked about this whole thing as if the impending doom was really coming from U.S. regulators to Apple. But the reality is, is the situation in the EU is much more dire for them and much more immediate. And so this is kind of where I'm going to be putting some of my attention just for a little bit, because this Digital Markets Act, this could change the game. Well, the EU might do it. Yeah, they might do it, right? I, I could see it. And if they did it, how does Apple not just turn it on for everyone at that point? No. What do you mean? The, the Voluntarily? Well, no. I mean, if they get forced into allowing sideloading in the EU, they essentially have to allow it everywhere because otherwise people are going to be leaking builds and hacking in the US build and enabling that. And it's just going to be, it'll be a cat and mouse game forever where they could just standardize the build documentation and the system around it, maybe even sign apps if they just embrace it like they do on the Mac. Like I could almost see it forcing their hand on this. I don't know. I feel like Apple can hold this up in court for at least 10 years. Yeah, I think you're probably right, though. I remember, you know, Google Oracle. We were we covered it when the show started and it just finished a few years ago. Right? This will this would be even bigger. You, got, I, I think about this, too, from. OK, so I think you and I both feel like it was a bit of a milestone when you could give a newbie family member an iPad or an iPhone and they could go in the app store and you knew they could install whatever for the most part. And they wouldn't muck up their system with persistent background tasks and crypto miners and stuff like that. It, for the most part, you know, you had some ad scams and a few things here and there over the years. But it was truly the first machine you could give the normals and they wouldn't eventually blow it up. And it, you got to appreciate that this innovation came around during the time of like Windows XP. When people were blowing up their entire systems by just going to a porn site on, in, in Internet Explorer and their machine was a goner, it was like super low friction to just totally devastate someone's computer back then. And so the App Store model and the sandboxed applications and Apple's really draconian management of the App Store did create a safer environment for regular users. And I think that is just objectively true. It is just objectively the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. Things don't last forever. What about the next company that comes along that becomes the ultimate platform, that becomes the ultimate app store platform? These things come and go over time. And so if the EU, you know, got this Digital Markets Act in place, in theory, it would apply to every major platform 
gorilla that comes down the road after Apple as well. And that might that might be a good thing. Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I just find it such a big change that it seems beyond the realm of plausible. I could see it being necessary if there was no other choice in the market. If there was no Android, if there was no Linux, if there was no web, I could see the necessity of forcing a company who's built a successful product to change that product for the better of the market. But because they don't even have the majority of the market share, like I've said before, it's like using the big guns for a situation that doesn't really call for it, right? Like the EU is sort of sort of bringing a gun to a fist fight. I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe maybe they see a long game that I don't see at this point. We also have to think about like how has the App Store changed and Apple's distribution policies changed and they've actually gotten tighter, not looser, right? Most consumers don't know about this, but the enterprise development program used to be super, super loose, right? You just needed a certificate and an account and you could basically, you know, as long as you, it's a kind of a, a unintuitive process, but as long as the user accepted your enterprise certificate, you could distribute your app to them. And this was super helpful to companies like mine where you would develop an app for somebody's business, right? And not have to go through all that red tape you know, of like being on the app store. Absolutely. Or, or, you know, if you just had an app that five or 10 people were going to use, we're on the, they're on the floor of the warehouse and they're doing inventory and you have a custom app. That's it. You just do it. Now, um, Apple has tightened that up quite a bit because people were using that as a way to make effectively alternative app stores for, I think, porn. I don't, I don't see them backing down, right? They're, they're so, they feel super strongly about this. It's the same reason why they are such maniacs about control over the app store. They really see this as a part of the product. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? There are emails from way, 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 way back in 2010 of them just like oh, Steve Jobs and I, what is it, Federici, openly talking about how they're going to use the app store as leverage against Amazon in, in business deals, right? Like it, this didn't just happen. They knew that this was a, a lever of control. And they're they're just I, I I never I don't see a world where they give it up unless it's literally at the point of a gun, right? Where it's like, or your executives here go to jail. I wonder, would this be the case with any company? Like if Canonical It would be any company. If oh if if Canonical could have pulled it off, they would have done it. Yeah. The Snap Store would be like their their gem. It'd be their it'd be the core of their business if, if that had ever gone huge, right? You'd think there would they would be And we'd all be watching our Ubuntu TVs. <laughs> there it is. To there me. it is. <laughs> Datadog.com slash Coda Radio. Go there to get a free trial and a Datadog t-shirt. So Datadog is a software as a service monitoring and security platform. It enables full stack observability for developers, IT operations, your security professionals, and just business teams in the cloud age. It's a platform with over 500 plus vendor backed integrations. Datadog allows you to correlate your metrics, your traces, your logs, security signals, and more across all your applications, your infrastructure, and even third-party apps and services in one beautiful single pane of glass. This is pro-level stuff here. This is the king of monitoring. These capabilities, combined with the drag-and-drop dashboards and machine learning-based alerts, they help your teams troubleshoot faster and collaborate more effectively. That prevents downtime, enhances performance, reliability, and more. As an exclusive offer for Coda Radio listeners, sign up for a two-week free trial at datadog.com slash Coda Radio, and you'll receive a free Datadog t-shirt 
That's datadog.com slash Coda Radio for a two-week free trial and a free T-shirt. Datadog.com slash Coda Radio. Happy monitoring. All right, this isn't uh, podcasting radio. I recognize that. It is sad old man radio, though. You know what it is? It's Mike was right radio. The This, what we have been watching happening to you and your business. I would love to be wrong. I know. Thanks. Thanks, bro. <laughs> uh, and what we've been watching happening with app stores is now happening to podcasts. I've been telling you this for a while, but now we got numbers because some research was done by Edison Research. And uh, Tom, Tom Webster is the one that uh, wrote this up. And uh, here's a few stats. So this is positioned towards uh, people who want to buy ads on podcasts. So keep that in mind. Here's what they say. If you wanted to reach 50% of all weekly podcast consumers a year ago, you would need to have advertised on the top seven podcast networks in the world. But after considerable acquisitions of big independent shows in the past 12 months, you can now reach 50% of all weekly podcast listeners by buying advertising on just four podcast networks. 50% of all weekly podcast listeners are either on SXM Media, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or NPR. And so what that means to advertisers is that's where they go to sell ads. And the, and the report ends with this. Indie podcasters have to find a way to organize and consolidate their buying power. Some monetization options are just not going to be available for them or for you. And this is it. It's the podcasts are going into what is software's equivalent to an app store. These app stores are managing the revenue generation. They're setting the price. They're establishing the channel deals like they're managing the distribution. They're managing how the branding even gets displayed in the directory. Like it's completely being taken away from the podcast creator. The relationship with the audience is completely being abstracted away. And they've centralized the listening so that advertisers don't really want to be bothered dealing with some indie podcaster who's going to take three to six months to finalize a sales deal when they can call up Spotify and they can buy a thousand podcasts in one hour. And this is happening so fast. It's really accelerated. It's more than that, too, though, right? Spotify can sell them. Well, these are our customer demographics for this collection of shows, right? For instance, Spotify owns a lot of stuff. I wonder how much of a overlap there is between, let's say, the Joe Rogan experience and uh, the Obama show. And Spotify can also do things like we can guarantee your ads will start tomorrow because we'll digitally insert them. Just we'll just cut. We'll wildly cut the podcast at any point, any point and just slam in an ad for you that somebody else recorded that you don't even you don't even recognize their voice. Uh, and, um, you know, like we saw this coming a couple of years ago. That's why we launched membership programs at the network is because I believe what's going to happen is there will be a smaller and smaller and smaller subset of advertisers and the independent podcasters who are trying to do this full time are essentially all going to be knocking on the door of a handful of advertisers that puts independent podcasting in a really precarious position in terms of censorship, self-selected censorship, all of that. So that's why we launched the membership program, because that gives us runway to be choosy. It it helps offset if we have a sponsor drop out, we don't have to panic. And I also see the boost that I've been talking about on the show that people can send with new podcast apps. I see that as part of a mix of ways to keep podcasting independent, um, because 
with these boosts, the hardest part is getting into Bitcoin, buying a couple of sats and loading up a wallet. That part is hard. It's it's confusing it, it to people who are new to it. It can even sometimes seem a little sketchy, like depending on how you do it. Like it's a big barrier to entry right now. Once people get over that barrier to entry, they're on a peer-to-peer network that is run by the developers and creators themselves. And so there's a direct network effect that happens. Like, for example, the Podcasting 2.0 podcast has people listening that are that are boosting them. And now they're sending boosts my way. And my audience is now sending boosts their way. Even though we've never coordinated, our incentives have aligned to this lightning-based network system. And so the network grows and we both benefit. And as more people come online, as developers come online, everyone kind of grows and benefits. But it is it is really hard to get started now. If Matrix is hard to get onto, this is even harder. So that live stream I'm doing on March 31st, I'm giving away Bitcoin on the live stream. I'm not I'm, I'm not going to give away millions of dollars or anything, but I'm going to give out Bitcoin to people who show up to help load their wallets like in the Fountain app, fountain.fm, and help them get started so they can start sending boosts. Because once you do it, you understand it. You get it immediately. You will immediately see what I'm talking about here. But until you try it, you just don't get it. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is because I think this is actually a pretty important way to monetize podcasting down the road. And so maybe this works, maybe it doesn't. But if I lead the way on this and then some of my friends join in on their podcast and others, we'll just grow the network. And then as developers come online or other places come online, we'll already have people that are in this network. It, it just keeps getting more and more valuable. But the hard part is getting involved. So during the live stream, we'll help people get on Matrix so they can get on a decentralized communication system. And I'm going to give away some Bitcoin so you can put that in your Fountain FM wallet or your Castomatic or whatever you use. Just go to newpodcastapps.com. I'll have a link in the show notes and get an app that supports boosts. And I'm, I'm going to give away I'm going to give it away so that way people can just they don't have to deal with the how do I actually buy the Bitcoin and put it in the wallet. They just need a few sats to get started. Like we like the boost we got earlier today was 42 cents. Right. <laughs> it's not like it's a big deal. And so I think that's, I hope, another way to help keep things decentralized, to incentivize a system, a network that can get some momentum, that can keep pace with the centralization. It is a long shot, but it is our only shot. And it's not the only way to keep podcasting independent, but it is part of a basket of ways that we are going to make this work. And, you know, I, I feel like it's pretty critical because... I, I recently said three to five years, and now after seeing that report and how fast this has happened in just one year, the, the current game's done in two years, and I have to be doing something different in, by two years from now. And that's if I'm lucky now. It may even only be a year at this point. So this is part of that solution. And uh, so join me. It'll be March 31st, 4 p.m. Seattle, 7 p.m. New York time, 11 p.m. London at jblive.tv. We'll get you on Matrix. We'll give away some Bitcoin, and I'm also going to do a Q&A if you've got any questions about stuff we've talked about or things like that. I'm also going to invite my friends to join me, swing by the stream, so they'll be there too. And Scuba Steve sent us a boost that said, uh, can't wait to see you guys in Raleigh. My question is, what do you guys think about Substack? Do you think that platforms like it play a role in the long-term sustainability of independent content creators? Thanks for everything you do. This is in the context of Substack just launching their own app, which takes all of the various, quote unquote, independent Substacks and aggregates them in one place, sort of like YouTube. So if you have a popular Substacker, like, say, Glenn Greenwald or anybody else, you read that guy and or that gal, and then it'll start recommending other creators that can kind of draft on their popularity, sort of like the YouTube algorithm does. 
it does give creators a way to monetize. It can integrate with Stripe and they can they can own that part of it. But it still feels like a platform consolidation to me. And this app where they're putting everything in an app and they're kind of recommending other sub stacks and kind of using one popular sub stacker to promote others, which is good for some and bad for others. Like it feels a lot like an app store platform YouTube thing again. And Substack was, I don't know, for some reason, people thought it was going to free us from that. But yet here we go. It's just slowly but surely drifting to this model. You think or do you think I'm overreacting? Uh, I don't think you're overreacting now. I think this is a problematic, to say the least. We'll put a link in the show notes. By the way, for the live stream, I recommend a quick and easy way to just grab a, a small amount of Bitcoin, as small as you like, really, is get the Strike app. Strike app is it's backed by a great team. It has super low fees. It is safe to use. It supports lightning and it takes a day or two to get verified, though. So if you want to grab your own Bitcoin, get the strike app. You can purchase small amounts with that. Then you can use lightning to send it over to your podcast app and then you can send it to creators and apps like Fountain.fm. They will let you know when a creator can take boosts. And I could see this extending to software. I don't know. I don't plan to talk about it all the time, but this report just came out. Of course, I see the ground crumbling underneath me like you much saw as the app stores were gaining dominance. So it's a, it's a topic, you know, that's on my mind. You know, we talked about last week about weaponizing Firefox and kind of sabotaging certain features for people that are in Ukraine or in Russia, depending on their location. And you and I kind of pontificated about the long-term ramifications of that and probably why, even though we think this conflict is horrible, weaponizing free software is a bad precedent to set. A couple of days after we recorded that episode, it came out that some open source library was sabotaged, an NPM package, and it was set to wipe the hard drives of systems in Russia as a protest of the war. And they wiped the drives of an NGO that was over there documenting war crimes by Russia. The team is absolutely completely devastated. Tons of video and pictures completely gone. They were doing a fly-by-night kind of build up a system, set it up, get it going. Just everybody start throwing your video when you're out in the field on this thing. They SSH'd into it. They executed something and they wiped the whole thing accidentally. You really just don't know the ramifications, the second order effects of something like this. And I have I have a thoughtful piece that we'll link in the show notes on the weaponization of open source software. And then the, the author looks at uh, MongoDB cutting off services in Russia, the node library that deleted files. Of course, there was a code and a license change and a Terraform module to let the entire world know that Putin is a dickhead. And there's been several other things that have happened. Ours covered a couple of them. And it's really kind of unfortunate because I think that's exactly in line with what we were worried could be sort of an unintended consequence. I totally understand that people, people feel like they need to respond. They need to do something, but you really can never know where these things are going to land. And right now, right now, Senator Warren, who's a, who's a good friend of Mr. Dominic, she's working on a bill that could potentially hold open source developers responsible if regimes we have sanctioned are using their software. And that's very scary because, of course, we know Russia has a Linux distribution. We know that they use Linux. You know, there's other regimes around the world that are using free software and the developers have nothing to do about it. 
I think the best thing would have been just for everybody in the free software community to stay neutral in this regard and not even bring this conversation up. But now it's up for discussion. And now we're even seeing legislation going through. I don't know how far it'll get, but it's pretty dangerous. Yeah, we talked about this a lot last week, but there's so much here. It's kind of surprisingly, Chris, I got a bunch of private messages about this. And uh, there's a lot of hot feelings on kind on, on, on all sides. But, I, you know, I will say it's got to be a little careful with this, right? My and I think your position of some of the changes in the software community, the tech community in general, almost nobody kind of brought that up to me, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if that I hate the word libertarian because I it mean it used to mean something that it doesn't mean right you know what I mean like the, it's evolved to to be very specific but I I found it surprising that at least a lot of the private uh, correspondence I got was basically calling me an old man <laughs> and like a super right winger because like somebody went out of their way to mention that like revolution OS is like a libertarian propaganda piece, which I thought was a little nuts. Well, I think that's because people associate some of the early free software folks as, you know, libertarian and uh, tr- you know, fair enough, but as they are, but it, it, it's, or were, I mean, people throw the same thing around Bitcoin and what it is, is that the reality is there are certain concepts, there are certain technologies that will appeal to certain crowds early as early adopters, but eventually it widens out. I mean, the same it's it's just how it's how everything works right i mean so so there's a lot going on here right the legislation the proposed legislation that you mentioned is insane right it would it would criminalize open source yeah the liability the risk would be so high right that you you would not want to do it yeah the bill calls for sanctions on anyone who quote significantly and materially assisted sponsored or provided financial material or technological support or goods or services to support any sanctioned person so even if a sanctioned person uses that code that's dangerous, man. That's super dangerous, right? Like it weaponizes. It weaponizes because there's no way they're going to enforce it on the regular. So it's something they could just throw at somebody when they really want to. Well, I mean, it's uh, all right. This is this is Mike being a, a New York hipster, but I was just listening to the New Yorker podcast this week, and <laughs> they, yes, there you go. I can't believe you just outed yourself. It's great. They do have great covers, and if you listen to it, you don't get to see those great covers. That's true. They. Uh, <laughs> They were talking about a, I think it was Obama administration initiative where the Justice Department would go after quote unquote Chinese spies that Trump like doubled down on. But of course, the way Trump did it, it all of a sudden went from a, a nothing no brainer to incredibly unpopular because Trump put like China in caps and red and bold, right? Because <laughs> Well, he had to go and tweet about it, you know, should have just kept his mouth shut. It just, you just do it. You don't tweet. Yeah. And. The Justice Department was just having a bitch of a time actually prosecuting these dudes because it turns out proving someone's a spy is really, really hard in a networked world when like everybody talks to everybody. Right. I got telegram messages from Moscow the other weekend. Right. Not from Russians, from Americans living there and leaving. So it's uh, you know, it's it's tough. So what are the Justice Department clever bastards that they are prosecutors? Well, wait a minute. If our goal is just to throw this asshole in jail and get him to flip on his friends and like try to, f- why don't we just find like anything else he's ever done? For instance, he made a mistake on a form. Well, we think he did it on purpose. So that's fraud, defrauding the United States government. Done. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I would say that 
I think if they want to pass any laws, they should repeal five. That's a good system. Now you're going. Yeah, I like now it. I'm going. Now I'm uh, welcome to the unfiltered show. No, now now you've gone beyond unfiltered. You're Steve Bannon now. No, I'm serious because like everything, it, it's just I I would urge folks who listen to the show that think we're crazy, and I I know I'm out further than you are now. Look up what happens when a prosecutor wants to get somebody and can't for the charge they want to get them on. Yeah, especially, you know what, man? Developers get it so hard. They come down hard on developers. They think they can freak them out and scare them. Let me ask you a question. What's the difference between an accidental hitting of a port on a server and uh, a cybercrime? An FBI agent's opinion? A prosecutor's opinion, exactly. Oh, right. prosecutor, yeah. <laughs> right. The FBI agent doesn't really care, right? It's the prosecutor who gets to decide. I think that's it. But I, I also think that this thing has a snowball's chance of actually passing. It'll never pass. One, Elizabeth Warren sponsoring it, so the Republicans will just hate it automatically, which is perfect. Yeah, and it's, well, it's very, 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 very broad. It's 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 like, you know, industry is going to be upset about this so broad, and so it's going to get dialed in. It is absolutely under the guise of trying to be tough on sanctioned Russians. It's under that guise that this is being proposed. And so I think it I think it remains healthy to stay a little skeptical of things like this. You you know, you look at these bills and you got to even though it says we're going to be tough on uh, mean Russians, I think people have to kind of look past that and see what it's really trying to do. And I feel that same way when it comes to sabotaging free software because I think that undermines the trust in free software. It makes people worried about, you know, this is a liability now. That's how businesses look at things as well. And I think it also starts this conversation. It starts this conversation that I don't think we really want to have that, well, what is the developer's responsibility in how the user actually uses their code? What do, what should the developer be doing to prevent that? And then once you start having that conversation, you start talking about compliance and measuring and punishing. So I, I feel like this is a very slippery slope. And I don't love slippery slope arguments, but it seems pretty clear as day to me that's exactly what it, this is. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a little crazy. I mean, you know, I, I would just posit one of the things that I think is kind of ironic is back in the day, all this free software stuff, the criticism from Balmer, frankly, right, was that it was communism. And the irony is it was in a way political, but not in like pure day-to-day politics political. It was like a, it was more philosophical, I'd argue. Now, I, I just, I'm not sure I'm super comfortable with every line of code having to be interpreted as a political or social statement. And I understand that people will say, well, but all this evil stuff and all these bad things happened in the past and, you know, inclusion and all this. But I, I think the problem is you end up in this crazy world of you end up doing nothing because you don't want to get the the consequences right you don't want to either get canceled or in this case if this law actually passed get thrown in jail right self-censorship you you end up you end up creating a regime of of self-censorship and because of the very nature of it the people that are being censored don't really ever have full representation you know man like that's always a back and forth right because it one group is underrepresented and then we overcorrect and now another group is under. I mean, that's an ebb and flow thing. Well, but, but, but it's different when it goes from like, let's say we want to get more minorities and women in tech and do like positive help. That if you change that to, oh, we don't like Russia today or we, do, you know, you could imagine the opposite happening where the Chinese are like, we don't like the Americans anymore. So we're going to like throw Americans off projects we collaborate off. Yeah, absolutely. You could see that. It Once it's, once it's nation states, it, it I would argue it's. I don't like the other stuff either. I get worried about like, I think maybe we should all give each other a break and try to get along. But once you have a flag, 
I don't know, like a, a, a flame war can become a literal shooting war too easily. And that, and although having said that, the backdrop of this is it's amazing how little effect cyber operations have actually had in, uh, in the Ukraine war, in the Russia-Ukraine war, whatever you want to call it, the conflict war, whatever. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly impotent, right? Like you, you based on the propaganda and, and coverage you were seeing, you would have expected Russia to be like turning off water processing, right? You would you would have expected a lot of right. The grid would be down completely, and like yeah. like Y two K level planes fall right <laughs> down out of the sky. Which which I'm wondering is it because it's not possible, or is it because maybe their systems were old? Right, you need a dude there to actually like run the switches. Right, I don't know. Right. I mean. It, <laughs> It sounds silly, but doesn't that just seem like a simple solution, too, at the end of the day? And, you know, it's also a jobs program. <laughs> right. It's like Battlestar Galactica, right? Just run that cord, baby. Run that cable. Yeah. No networking on this ship. Did you just bring a Wi-Fi card? <laughs> <laughs> Odama does not want any Bluetooth. Yeah, I could totally see that. President Rosalind, lover. Just throwing it out there. Season one, though. Season one is the best. Really is the best. It is the best. It really is the best, yeah. I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think this bill will go through. And I hope people will kind of read it. We'll have a link in the show notes. It's very broad. And so people are interpreting it different ways. Uh, I'll put that out there. But the part that I think we quoted in the show is the bit that concerns me the most. And we'll have links to what we talked about today at coder.show slash 458, which means we're almost to 460, which is crazy. That's crazy. Whoa. I know. Wow. Um, thank you to our members. You guys matter more than ever, coderqa.co. You can also support the entire network and get access to all the shows ad-free and all their special extras at jupiter.party. And it's just a great way to support the network, support the show. Get in, You still get all the nice, tight production from our editors uh, just without the sponsor reads because we just, you're already supporting us, you know? And, and, and listening, sharing the show, leaving reviews, that's another great way to support us, make sure we stick around. All that stuff makes a difference. So coderqa.co if you want to become a member or jupiter.party. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send people this week before we get get, get out of here? Just add to Manuko on Twitter. Nice. Nice and easy. You can find uh, the network at Jupiter Signal, the podcast at Coder Radio Show, and I'm at Chris LAS. Also Chris LAS on our Matrix server, which is colony.jupiterbroadcasting.com. Coder.show also has our RSS feed and our contact form. Our contact form is so important. I'm taking these last few seconds to mention it again. Coder.show slash contact. Your feedback's a big part of the show. We also love the boosts. Send us a boost with a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. I've been using Fountain.fm. Thanks so much for joining us. See you back here next week.